Welcome back, everyone. Thanks again for joining us. And today we have another new review for you. We are reviewing album number 56 on Rolling Stone Magazine's top 500 albums of all time. This is Exile in Guyville by Liz Fair. I'd like to start again by saying... Have we listened to this before? We haven't done that in a little while. Usually we save that. Oh, you want to start with that? Yeah, sure. We could do that. Um, uh, Well, I want to start by saying, uh, get out your your chorus pedal for your guitar um, and and do your best monotone, uh, low female vocal uh, impression, because there are going to be a lot of that in this. Well, that was kind of um, what I was driving at with the have you listened to this before, because I think the answer for both of us is no, but clicking play instantly felt oof, familiar. Like oof. we have listened to this many, t- this sound many times yeah. in our life because we grew up in the nineties and yes, this album yeah. just feels so stereotypically 1990s uh, female rock. We talked about, I'm trying to think, I think it was sign of the times. When we listened to Prince's Sign of the Times, we went, okay, this came out in 86, but this sounds like all the the video game music oh, yeah, and Disney the TV it. show and Disney <laughs> stuff that we heard in the late 80s and early 90s because it's become part of the, the, the zeitgeist of yeah. pop culture. And it was almost a, a musical caricature of yeah. that time period. Yeah. This felt very much like that. And yes, I'm in the same boat as you. I had never listened to any of this album at all uh i was familiar with the cover and then and her name but that's it but yes when as soon as i hit play i was like oh i'm i'm home i'm back yeah. home i'm a kid again i'm a teen again listening to 90s grunge yep um and this is the if i have an an image in my mind or sorry a sound in my mind rather of what the 90s sounds like it sounds a lot like this um yep so yeah, I, I can definitely uh, I echo that sentiment. Pop culture parallels. I'm guessing there were songs like this on the soundtrack to like Ten Things I Hate About You, Clueless. Um, you know, this like kind of '90s coming like, of age, uh, uh, young dazed woman. and confused stories. Yeah, um, half baked. You know, all that stuff, right? Yep. I guess that was a lot of psychedelic stuff too but yeah definitely empire records empire it? records just gonna say empire <laughs> records yeah that, that that that's feel like that could be there yeah absolutely um do you do you have any more comments i guess that's that's our our interactions with it uh previous were zero uh, do you want some details but or is there something else you want to touch on before we get that's into a that? good way to dive in let's get to some details. okay okay perfect Details, 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 details. Exile in Guyville was released June 22nd, 1993. She had been recording it for a couple years, um, and she's from uh, Chicago. So she was in the Chicago music scene, the indie music scene. She worked with a guy named John Henderson and producer Brad Wood, and they uh, they kind of had been working on it, and then eventually uh, it was released in 93. That Chicago music scene's pretty important. Um, she felt like there was a lot of uh, machismo in that, and uh, had a hard time as a female artist kind of getting credibility. Yeah. This album sprung her to sort of national awareness, and yet that underground Chicago scene kind of ridiculed her for the success mm. of this album so mm. even when she sort of wow. like was able to break through it uh it still didn't give her <laughs> what she was looking for i guess um we'll talk i'm sure about another exile album um but there's been folks who've said even more than a response to that other exile album it's really uh, <laughs> uh, some anger directed at the chicago uh, indie scene that she was a part of the male members of that scene yeah. <laughs> in particular, mm-hmm. right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, you hear some of that angst throughout the album. 
she wrote all the songs. Uh, she wrote it all and and plays. She plays guitar, piano. Uh, she sings, so she is very much in charge of of the of the creative here. Just barely cracked <laughs> the Billboard Top 200 in in 1994. Actually, the next year uh, went to number 196. <laughs> so it just got on, and uh, as of 2010, was certified gold. So half a million copies in the U.S. So not a ton, but again, this is one of those albums which may not have been as commercially successful as others, but would go to to kind of define part of a of a genre and and influence tons and tons of other artists certainly female artists yeah i i think she played at lilith fair but i think yes, the first time definitely. i saw this on the list i my head read liz fair as lilith fair um <laughs> and those two somehow were like confused in my brain but um but yeah prominent uh, female artist from that that time period yeah i think the first whenever the first one was she might have been like on a supporting stage and then she was on a main stage as well which it was was a few years after this came out i think like kind of 98 97 98 99 kind of thing absolutely we should get it right out of the way here um exile on guyville and exile on main street are related i guess i would say yes yeah, so you're you're right. Liz Fair has said in in interviews afterwards that that it, the album was a song by song reply to Exile on Main Street uh, by the Rolling Stones, the released in 1972, which we've reviewed, um, mm-hmm. which is still pretty high up on this list. You know, the critics say that it's not, <laughs> but I mean, she wrote it, so she she says is they're both 18 tracks. Yep. Uh, Exile on Main Street was a double LP. This is CD, but the songs are very short. Mm-hmm. And and what's the total running time? So it's 56 minutes, which is a longer album, a little yeah. bit longer. Um, but still, because of compact disc, it fits on one disc. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. Um, and just, again, the technology you're able to do that um, come into the 80s and certainly in the early 90s. I've been bouncing back and forth a little bit tonight as I've had Exile and Guyville in my headphones. When I get to a track that sounds a little bit different than the rest of the album, I hop over to Exile on Main Street and click to see how that simultaneous track sounds. And there are some points where I'm like, oh, I see even sound-wise she kind of borrowed. Um, And maybe the, the time where that stood out the most is track 14, which is Flower on Exile and Guyville. And on uh, Exile on Main Street, track 14 is Let It Loose. There's kind of like a guitar sound that almost feels borrowed. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, I pause here because one of the very first things I found as we were getting ready to do this album was a YouTube video by six teenage boys who've got a channel where they kind of talk about random music stuff. They, I think, should borrow our guys with no credentials label because it really is just like six dudes in their basement just kind (laughs) of going off uh as sort of young teenage boys do and i thought that as i as i watched them kind of like try and make sense the video that i watched was trying to compare the two i thought boy this is a messy job to like try and do this especially when you're not super uh, knowledgeable about either the Rolling Stones or Liz Fair, <laughs> and I think right, that's the yeah. case for the two of us. Like, we will probably stumble over it if we really try and <laughs> do the yes. job of, of connecting the dots here. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that, trying to connect the two, and as much as I said, you know, you, you press play, and the first thing you hear is that kind of crunchy yeah. uh, guitar with the, with a bit of chorus effect on it, but then. The drum beat. At first, my knee-jerk reaction was, "Well, that's very '90s." Just, but also, that's very Rolling Stones. How many songs? Just you know, eighth notes on the eighth notes on the hi hat, and alternating quarter notes, bass and snare. And as much as Charlie Watts is a talented was sorry the very recently passed Charlie Watts was a very talented jazz drummer in the Stones. Most of the songs were just uh, straight up and down, um, and that's yep. the that's the music 
a lot of especially the hits uh, you go deeper into their stuff was there's more complexity but i thought oh yeah um i'm really hearing that and i'm really hearing some of that in right off the top just that uh which really again is both it didn't hit me till after listening a few times was both 90s you know grunge and coming out of the post-punk scene and into the uh kind of simplistic nature of some of the 90s grunge music but also the simplistic nature of some of the the stone the rolling stones music so yeah yep. uh, i'm starting to get a little bit more on board <laughs> with, yeah. with the idea that it was a response this i this critics say it wasn't i feel like saying but yeah but but liz fair says it is like she Should, wrote it. Shouldn't we always place the benefit of the doubt with the artist? Like she's the one yeah. saying this is a response to that. And uh, and in fact, you can Google um, Exile on Main Street, Exile in Guyville, and there's a Rolling Stone article where she goes almost track by track, sort of es- essentially explaining how she's connected the dots or how her songs are responding to. Right. That's like me doing an impressionist painting of the of the Rocky Mountains, saying. This is my interpretation of the Rocky Mountains, and someone coming and saying, "No, it's no, not. It's, no, it's not. That doesn't. That doesn't <laughs> look like the Rocky. That doesn't look like Rocky Mountains at all. <laughs> you right, know, right. like like yep. that's that's not your art. It's my art. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So that that's an important part of it. I think as much as it is part of it, I think important because it's in the title, and it's what it's not important in terms of really understanding it. Like it's she's. Mm-hmm. You know, Exile in Guyville is, again, as we mentioned, her, a big part of the album is her response to the male uh, atmosphere yeah. of the music scene. That's a part of yep. it, too. And and part of it is this response to Exile on Main Street. And Exile on Main Street, the, the concept of that album and the, the cover is, you know, all these little pictures of uh, people at like you know these roadside uh, attractions, these circuses, roads traveling circuses, sideshows. Because yeah. side, that's it, sideshows. So just get the wrong terminology there. These sideshows, all these almost freak shows of these different people, because that's how they felt. They felt as like you know, kind of on the on the fringes, on the outskirts of pop culture. They they were outcasts. They weren't the Beatles. They were yes, very popular, successful, but they were also um, undesirable in many ways. Yeah. And and ca- whereas the Beatles were, you know, the mop tops and the Fab Four and the beloved, and the Stones were, you know, they were getting arrested and they were you know, <laughs> doing drugs and and yeah. not that the Beatles weren't, but they just weren't getting caught. <laughs> so yeah, right, right. Again, this kind of this notion that um, you know we don't belong here. Uh, I think is what she's she's piggybacking on that too, which which right. is important. So so I think right. you can get too hung up on it, and I don't want to get hung up on it. But at the same time, yeah, there's definitely some significance there. Well, and I think I think borrowing again from the Stones and applying that rock and roll lifestyle to what she was seeing in the '90s in Chicago, um, I think I'm remembering that in that article she talks just about the opening tracks like um on exile on main street rocks off is just like we're gonna just blow this up um it's yeah. the arrogance of like wandering into a place causing havoc and then just kind of like leaving and right. i think she she was saying that in chicago she was feeling some of that too that the guys would swagger in you know destroy the place and then just move on because they didn't care and i think the gender inequality meant that she as a woman couldn't do that or or wouldn't do that um so yeah it's all it's kind of a pot of soup i think she's she's take she's drawing inspiration she's responding and she's creating um all at the same time Mm -hmm. yep i really like that cover art yeah so this so we want to talk about the the album cover art now this I don't know if it's because I, I think this uh, I'll say even thumbnail is used. I think almost every time Rolling Stone magazine has released a version of the 500 list, I think this oh. has been used somewhere in the art. I feel like every every like whether it's on the the web page for the list, I feel like it's always there, and I don't really know why. 
And I don't know if that's why it's familiar to me or because in the 90s it was just kind of everywhere or maybe because it's kind of there because it's a little risque. Um, uh, you know, you, you could argue there's a little bit of nudity on the, on the front cover um, that it's just kind of a piece of art that's just in record stores or a poster that's been on the wall. I don't know, but it felt familiar, <laughs> even though in terms of the artist and the music... I'm not familiar at all. I remember looking at this, maybe the first time we started and seeing the cover on one of the, on something, whether it was the website or something you had posted and going, oh, that's interesting. And that's familiar, but I have no idea what it is. I have no idea who she is. <laughs> no, like, like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have an answer to the question. Why is this familiar to me? But I've definitely seen it lots. Um, uh-huh. Not when I was younger, but maybe more recently. It is... A black and white image of Liz Fair, and right front and center block letters Liz Fair and underneath Exxon Guyville in purple, uh, of a kind of plum purple color. Actually, because of the image behind, kind of hard to read uh, the lettering, <laughs> uh, because the the image is is very black and white, so uh-huh. the the lettering kind of washes out. But this was um, a photo. Fo- the photo is she she went into a photo booth in the mall and and took some photos uh topless uh, now she's wearing maybe a coat or or a hoodie like a hooded coat or a hooded sweater and you can see you know it's from kind of the forehead down and she's got lots of necklaces on uh her her chest is exposed you can't really see anything but you can definitely tell that she's not really wearing a top so there's some you know it's 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 provocative for sure but it's also abstract uh, her her mouth is kind of gaped open, like she's yelling. Yeah, it's certainly an an image that that I think attracts uh, attention. Yeah, <laughs> it's attention getting and and kind of is evocative, uh, and certainly is one again one that that I I remember like is familiar, but I just don't know why. Yeah, uh, but maybe that's it. Maybe it's just one. Oh, we'll put that up because it's got part of a naked lady on it. <laughs> um, you know, like I don't yeah. know. Yeah, uh, it's um, it's definitely got that sexual vibe but it doesn't feel sexual in its intent maybe no, because it not. seems like she's shouting there's a yeah. sort of female uh strength that i see when i look at this rather than like an erotica or something like that i guess those two things don't necessarily need to be mutually exclusive but well, well no um, they don't but i find it more artistic than erotic uh-huh. yeah for sure yeah there's apparently been instances where certain uh, record stores or uh, or chains have have cropped it in a different way to sort of get the nipple off of the image and okay uh, <laughs> I find that kind of humorous. Uh, October first, Netflix started streaming Seinfeld, and uh, there's a classic episode where oh, Elaine has a Christmas <laughs> card where her nipple is showing accidentally. Oh, <laughs> uh, and there's a callback to that later in the series where. She says, I like the picture so much I cropped it and it's my photo at the gym membership or something like that. So, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, like, it, you know, this could be a whole lot less edgy had they just chosen like just a, another centimeter up of the. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that, too, is part of the um, part of the protest that she's making, the outrage mm. against kind of the, the culture, because it's not. um I mean, she's not doing a pinup pose, no. you know, like it's not, uh, it, it's, it's kind of in contrast yeah. to what a, a male executive would want a, a, as a sexy female subject on a, on, on the cover, right? It, mm-hmm. It's her kind of, yeah, like yelling, right? Yep. You know, she could be her mouth, she could be screaming kind of in protest. Yep. And so I think that's part of the attitude of it and the the concept behind it so it, yeah it's it certainly it's interesting and again it's i don't want to say iconic because i don't feel i know enough but for some reason yeah. um it's familiar so that's <laughs> got to mean something right yeah <laughs> or maybe just because we've been looking at images from this list for almost three years so <laughs> they're all bleeding together i don't want to keep like kicking a dead horse but i mean exile on main street is photographs polaroids that are in black and white with a single color lettering on it as well. So I don't know, maybe there's yep. some intention of, 
uh, drawing to drawing that tie there as well. It, it, you know, it would have been kind of interesting if they'd included the entire photo booth photo shoot and you know made them smaller, like the Exile cover is with a whole bunch of of images. But um, yeah, the other thing that I learned this week was um, she came up with an initial cover idea, which was uh, a <laughs> giant pile of Barbies in a swimming pool having an orgy, and the record label said absolutely not. And, uh, <laughs> So this was kind of her backup plan, I guess. She got a photographer friend who, who encouraged this photo direction, I guess. And, uh, well, and we and that. the reason they said no, they stated that the artwork would not sell. <laughs> According to what I'm reading here, and and you know that's it's just one sentence. There, I'm sure was more more to, <laughs> more it. to it than that, but. But it wasn't that they thought it was inappropriate. They thought it wouldn't sell, you know, which is, again, is so kind of like, okay. So, yeah, so the final is her, her in a photo it's booth. It's really funny. Uh, <laughs> very, very interesting. Uh, again, you but you feel that struggle mm-hmm. against the, yeah. you know, I want to say it's a bit better now, and I think it is, but that struggle against that very male-dominated mm-hmm. uh, industry yep. for a solo artist Um in a new genre, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, w- one of the things, and I guess as we move into the music here, one of the things that I felt, a, a band that I was more familiar with in the 90s was Hole. Yeah. Uh, because they were they were popular. And in the later 90s, I think uh, when their Celebrity Skin album came out and I was watching a, a lot of much music, <laughs> um, you know, they, they became, but they, they were... I think they started in 1989, certainly with the rise of Nirvana and Kurt Cobain. Courtney Love became famous as well. And of course, then Hole, I think, kind of was able to ride the coattails a little bit. Um, that's not a, a criticism of the band. That's just, <laughs> I think, just how it happened. And um, I was I was feeling a lot of similarities hmm. uh, in the, the vocalization and the kind of the composition of the songs to some of that early whole music from the early nineties. But then as a solo female artist in a new genre, like this is, this is grunge music. This is nineties grunge, alternative rock, whatever, uh, which is still, you know, I think Nirvana's maybe not bleach, but certainly uh, Nevermind is really like a breakthrough moment for grunge music. And that comes in 1991 if I'm not mistaken. So this is still only two years into kind of the explosion of the grunge scene, which I think really peaks in 94, 95, when these bands, uh, Smashing Pumpkins and Pearl Jam, Nirvana, uh, Stone Temple Pilots are releasing, you know, their second and third albums, and it's everywhere, Soundgarden. So this is still at the beginning of it. And a solo female artist um, is releasing an album you got to know there's going to be a lot of opposition both behind the scenes and in the public eye uh, uh-huh. because of because of her gender. Mm-hmm. So I just have that in the back of my mind as I listen to it um, and that uh, I find it inspiring and it makes the concept of it as a response to Exile Main Street, the cover and the sound all really work for me uh, uh, together. I like that. Sorry, I went on a little tangent there. That no. that sounded maybe more like closing thoughts, but that's <laughs> kind of helps me as a framework. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I I can imagine, um, I, and I think one of the weaknesses that we should again restate as if we haven't done it enough, but neither of us are like primarily lyrics first music listeners. I am guessing that if you are uh, a teenage girl in the 90s who's frustrated by society, you know, all of what you just said is true, but you can go so much deeper too because each of these songs has this like really powerful lyrical layer too there that, that I think with the combination of the image she's projecting, the sound that's just being formed and the attitude there, there's also this like really raw emotional side of the album too that, um, uh, yeah, I... I think I probably could spend another couple of weeks listening to it and still not start to get to where you need to be to really understand what's happening here. Yeah, absolutely. Along that theme of kind of 
I don't want to say feminist, but the, the feminist uh, feminist idea or kind of the, this this female struggle. Another fun fact: uh, the first demos that she created that were kind of home recordings. She didn't use her name; she used a different moniker, which was Girly Sound, mm-hmm. and that was her uh, her initial kind of stage name. And she re-released the the tapes in 2018 uh, under the name Girly Sound. Uh, so <laughs> that's again kind of just embracing that whole I want to say persona because that that she is female. Uh, but, yeah. But the, I think just the whole idea of of the 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 woman the woman rock artist, the female rock artist who's yep. struggling, yep. who's struggling to be heard, to be noticed, to be accepted as a legit musician and artist in that male-dominated uh, scene and industry. I guess we should actually talk about the the music itself. We haven't really <laughs> done that yet. Yeah, half we've, an hour in. we've mentioned <laughs> that uh, the time length, uh, that it's over 50 minutes in length, that's pushing an hour. Uh, just barely, I guess, fills on uh, a compact disc. There's 18 tracks, and uh, I found that it's quite a lot to get through, even though the songs are shorter. The so songs long, are short, yeah. They're all under four minutes, except for except for one that's five and a half. Yeah. There's a lot, and, and perhaps because the sound, sort of crunchy 90s guitar, simplified drum beat, and, and sort of a aggressive, angry singing voice, they do start to sound somewhat repetitive after a while. Um, mm-hmm. But there's definitely some standouts here that that I found uh, really enjoyable. Oh, for sure. I found it really funny uh, that my favorite song on um, Exile on Main Street is track five, Tumbling Dice, and my favorite song on Exile on Guyville is also track five, Never Said. So... <laughs> um, they're both kind of perhaps the most radio-friendly hits of the two albums, and uh, I don't know what that says about my taste in music. But uh, um, yeah, I, I, again, it's funny with that that parallel there. I guess while we're talking about favorites, do you want to pick our our songs for our Spotify oh, sure. playlist? Yeah, I guess I if kind you, of already gave it away. You what said I mean. what your favorite yeah. is. Uh, if if you're new to this, we have a. A playlist on Spotify. It's called Sound Logic Favorites. We pick two tracks from each album we review. So I'm assuming that's yours. Never said. That's mine. If that's yep. okay, and I don't I'm, know. Maybe that's where you were leaning to. And if, if not, I can pick a backup. No, I do really like that song. Um, but that's not the one I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick Divorce Song. Um, it's got. Uh, I like the melody, and she kind of goes through, and then um, it almost plays out almost like a like a 90s stand-up comedy routine where she just kind of keeps tacking uh and 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 like every (laughs) sentence you know it's harder to be friends than lovers and you shouldn't try to mix the two because if you do then you know and and this and that and it's just kind of it's just kind of these ramblings that don't necessarily rhyme and uh i really like that that song had the effect on the guitar there kind of an electric guitar with with very little distortion, it's yeah, kind of like a, and a little bit of chorus, a little bit of chorus, yeah, uh, chorus effect. <laughs> Reminds me of um, uh, early Bare Naked Ladies for some reason. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if it's just also <laughs> another '90s kind of like trope, but uh, um, her voice yeah. definitely changes me away from that. But uh, yeah, yeah, it will, and it does that thing where it kind of repeats, like you have a, uh, yeah. it repeats the same almost monotone line like again and again yeah. and uh we we've also talked to i don't know if we talked about this uh when we a long time ago when we talked to rob jones about nirvana's nevermind when you get into the 90s you kind of had this glam rock you come you you've got the 60s it's psychedelic then you get the 70s which is very hard and like kind of fantastical but not necessarily real the 80s are kind of just I don't know, in some sort of dreamland uh, for the most part, uh, <laughs> except for maybe a guy like Prince who's starting to touch on some of uh, the nitty gritty and just kind of this glam rock, you know, that's what I think of, and some new wave and some pop. You get in the 90s and you get artists, especially in the grunge and alternative genres, who are really tackling like a lot of hard stuff, like stuff they're going through, you know, with addiction mm-hmm. and suicide and, and, you know, the places they grew up. 
which is like really tough stuff. We got a song about divorce, you know, <laughs> from a 23-year-old. I can't remember exactly how old she was. She was young, uh, yeah. for sure, when when the album came out. Um, don't quote me on the age there, but but she wasn't old. So you got these young people, almost a la, you know, a, a Bruce Springsteen, you know, singing and talking. You, you'd think the guy's 50 yeah. and he's like 26, you know, but the same thing here. And, and that's the other thing I like about the song, because it, like many of her other songs, doesn't sugarcoat the tough issues of life. Yeah. And I think that many of the decades before found a way, not all the time, not every song, not every album, but a lot of the time found a way to um, skirt around mm. kind of what was going on. And you get this contrast in the 90s between alternative rock music, which was coming very popular and was very, quote, grungy and gritty yeah. and dirty and real. Uh, and I think a lot of people really relate to that coming out of the 90s or the, the 80s and really tough stuff from you know, punk rock and the stock market crash in the early eighties and then leading into the grunge of the nineties contrasted with the kind of shiny pop music of the nineties, which yeah. was, you know, straightened, you know, straightened hair and guys with, you know, you know, just everything bright colors and neons on the one side of the page. And on the other side, you've got this like, you know, and, and everything's fine and happy and good. And then, you know, and then the emergence of gangster rap, and also on the other side, kind of uh, the later 90s, more mainstream rap, which was more, again, about wealth and popularity and that. So I really, really appreciate this song. Uh, not the only song now, but as one that that kind of, again, touches on some of the real crap of life mm-hmm. that everyone goes through. Uh, yeah. And Yes, music is an escape, but at some point we have to deal with it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And music can help us do that too. So, so that's my pick. Uh, again, rambling, but but divorce song uh, as just a, an example of many songs in this album that touch on uh, real issues that she was going through, and I think many people, not just women, can uh, can empathize with. Absolutely. I mean, she opens the album up with a, a track about you know a guy who's six foot one who she'd like to be with and basically cheats on her and leaves her and you know yep. and it, it yep. doesn't, <laughs> doesn't diverge from that sort of pain space uh, too nope. much throughout the album um and returns to that theme too i don't know if we've chosen whether or not to put the explicit lyric uh flasher on this but she's got a f and run uh title of one of the tracks there too which is essentially yep. the same thing yeah, I might have to click that button. Um, <laughs> you've already said nipples more times than I'm comfortable with, so uh, <laughs> so I might have to do something That's there. <laughs> I think the the music in general. I I think if I'm being honest, you know, 18 tracks. To me, there's there's a lot of similarity from one track to the next. Mm-hmm. Uh, not different than a lot of the other albums that were similar at the time. Yeah. And not, uh, again, we're a little biased here at the Sound Logic podcast, but to me, not incredibly different from the Rolling Stones album, Exile on Main Street, mm-hmm. which to me, mm-hmm. not Could every song is the same. Going I'm, through and saying, all right, guys, <laughs> let's cut a few of these. <laughs> let's, can we get down to maybe 10 or 12 yeah. really good ones? Um, <laughs> But uh, you know, maybe that's the problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> but again, I think this really captures the time. It captures the sound of the time. Yeah, uh, she's and not just capturing it. She's at the at the at the start of at the at the outset of this yeah. genre, or very yeah. near the outset. And Chicago, although there is a, a, a big music scene in Chicago, and certainly the '90s, you know, it's still the big the big kind of new york versus la thing right and as as you know and and hip-hop was already doing that in the early 90s and the late 80s the east versus west so now we have another innovator Mm -hmm. trendsetter coming out of of a city that wasn't really i think i think i can say with with some knowledge wasn't really at the forefront again and you know like as we get to uh outcast 
pushing a genre out of a place it hadn't come from before. Mm-hmm. Showing that there's good hip hop out of out of the South. I think there's times, many times, where it's like kind of the only good music is coming out of L.A., New York, and London. You know, like that's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's where music is made. That's where rock music is made. That's where you know hip hop's made, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, it's refreshing, and also I think there's there's that struggle, that pain in trying to come out of an area that isn't quote producing. Uh, hit music right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. before we wrap this time up i should say i approach this album with some skepticism partially because Mm. in that um september 2020 moment when the new list came out uh Mm. one of the pundits that i read a reflection on um he was angry about a lot of things but one of the things he was most angry about was bumping up exile and guyville because he felt like no one remembers this album anymore and how can it possibly be great if no one really remembers it Uh, an album that uh, he he thought time should be forgetting about and so I I had that kind of in my head thinking like oh is this just like the token angry girl album that they placed here and I've actually kind of enjoyed it Um, I don't know if it's the 90s nostalgia but despite its length i found myself feeling like this is this is good i'm i'm still not sure how it fits in with great but i don't know why the guy had so much of a problem <laughs> as he did uh <laughs> yeah i'm i'm with you on that uh it it's simplistic mm-hmm. i think but i also find it very accessible it may be dated maybe uh, for folks who oh, didn't for sure. grow up in the 90s maybe it feels odd like a genre we don't really draw from anymore i don't know i think we moved on from a lot of the sounds yeah like we moved on from you know using a chorus sound effect you know that was very much yeah nirvana sound garden yeah you know like think of of uh you know like black hole sun and and, and yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. stuff on yeah. on the nevermind album you know but tons of chorus we, we don't use that quite as much anymore um the vocalization is very much you know yeah and, and 90s indie female sound which even to this day it seems difficult for a woman who sings like that to have a hit record maybe i like think you w- hear pink in her a little bit like well someone who sings with an edge in her voice pink has a more range and does actually like sing more often but yeah she, in the songs where she talks talk sings she sounds very similar to to liz fair here <laughs> i i guess so I, I think i guess she's more you know she's really much more of a pop vocalist but i yeah. i see some of that sim- certainly she's yeah she's one of the more edgy uh pop pop vocalists but yeah. um yeah i think not to say that it's not good but that that type of vocal stylings uh, styling from a female yeah. um yeah. has never really become kind of a hit record yeah yeah i think it's it certainly is dated in that sense um as much as any of the other kind of stuff from this genre is dated even even nirvana's Nevermind. i mean yeah. you listen to that you know exactly within a couple of years uh, you could guess from when when it was released yep. Yep. um yep. because that was a very specific time like by by i want to say 97 98 you were not making rock albums like that that sound like that anymore. Yep. Which is like you could say that about any, you know, any genre and you say, "Well, by by the late 60s we weren't making stuff that sounded like that." Well, yes, of course, but but <laughs> yeah, this uh it's certainly set in one particular space. I guess now we're talking about is it is it is it relevant? <laughs> is it dated? Is it relevant? Whoops. Yeah. Um <laughs> Well, which is fine, because we're moving into that. Um, dated, yes. We hear where this comes from. Mm-hmm. I think, if you don't mind if I go first... Um, go ahead, yeah. The relevance, certainly as we as we go into kind of the popularity of uh, indie folk, you know, from the... What do we call the first de- decade? The, the aughts? Yeah. The, the 2000s? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the end of the first decade 
into even I think to present day uh, 2021 in indie folk is still uh, a strong movement yeah. and you hear that solo female artist there you hear a lot of you know male female duos yep uh, with again a more a more edgy sound a lower a lower female voice like Liz Fair has uh, definitely more of an alto than a, than a soprano like a like a pop vocalist. So I think in terms of that, like there's relevance there. There's there's definitely relevance for strong, outspoken yeah. <laughs> female artists. Yeah. Like that is more relevant than ever. With you right. know, I don't want to sound cliche, but with the Me Too movement yeah. and with you know just more and more rights, and then and then also just speaking out and claiming the challenges that women have had. Yeah. Uh, throughout the years and even to this day that is more and more relevant and if this inspires uh, women of any age today to make art to talk about and write about and create art about their experiences then yes it's relevant and certainly very important so I would say because of that yes it's relevant the sound um, maybe not as much as you said very dated but certainly the spirit behind it and the creativity, absolutely. Uh, what do you think? Any reaction to that? I can't help but wonder, um, it's not too far down the road where we get to um, some of our next Canadian content, Alanis Morissette's <laughs> Jagged Little Pill is, uh, mm. is just, let's see, 13 albums away? Does that sound right? Something like that. Yeah you know granted a few years later uh only two years later i was thinking it was a little bit later in the 90s when that one came out um but a and a slightly different sound but still has that sort of edgy oh yeah uh female rocker vibe going on there so i i'm i'm curious if we feel like that one sounds dated or if something shifted in the production styles of those two albums for one hmm. to sound less more or less dated than the other anyway i'm just going to put a pin in that and uh yeah let's we'll talk about it um, when we get there yeah I, I would love to and, and uh, hopefully in our in our research um we have time to to see how much influence she took yeah because yeah. if not if not musically certainly thematically mm-hmm. um you get that you get that same sense on a lot of those yep. songs relationships and and uh hurt and and all that absolutely well, I feel a little bit like when we reviewed OK Computer, like the sound is so familiar that I almost can't imagine someone saying, boy, this sounds really dated. But we're old enough now to have children who roll their eyes and tell us uh, about how old we sound sometimes. So mm-hmm. I also am aware of just how quickly sounds can be can be dated. Coldplay just a little bit ago uh, beamed out their first performance from this tour that they are about to embark on the first concert in this new arena in seattle washington and uh our kids were kind of watching peripherally and like oh that's that's kind of neat i'd like to be at something like that have you ever seen this band dad and i was like not only have i seen them but i've seen them on every tour since (laughs) you know 2003 and um (laughs) what like Twenty years you've been going to see this band, really, uh, and you know those sorts of things make you feel instantly old. But um, uh, so I, yeah, I, I guess I'm realizing my inability uh, all of a sudden to be aware and, and hypersensitive to how uh, something may not be as relevant anymore. Uh, it's just that I've aged, and um, uh, so hmm, I, I guess I would say. There are still young women trying to figure out their own empowerment and they're Mm -hmm. doing it with a guitar in their hand. And I think Mm. for that reason alone, an album like this should be lifted up as significant and relevant, um, even if the sound starts to sound a little too 90s. Amen. <laughs> Those yep. are two kind Preach. of long and rambly answers for this time. Preach, preach. Episode. No, that's uh, ab- absolutely. I mean, I mean, uh, listen. I think we made it clear at the beginning that that we're not the experts on Liz Fair as an artist or this album, 
in terms of the music. But certainly, what's what's speaking to us and what's coming through is is the yeah the the empowerment here, mm. the name and claiming like kind of the Beyonce yeah. well, yeah. kind of posture of like I'm not yeah. gonna let this oh, beat me. I'm gonna I'm gonna name it and yeah. Well, and, and I'm gonna like one thing I love. About, I'm glad you brought up Lemonade. Um, one thing I love about Lemonade is it, it it's it's a whole story and journey. Yeah, it's not just. Um, this thing happened to me and I'm ticked off. Like, yeah. and that's totally legit yeah. and relevant. There's nothing wrong with an album or a song or any story that says, here's my experience. Yep. That was negative. That lemonade is, is the whole journey. Here's what happened. Here was my anger. Here was kind of my turning point in my resolution. And here's kind of where we're at right now. Yep. And this album, as much as it's not, sort of a narrative like that it is very much a here's my story here's my experiences through these lyrics yeah and here's kind of where i'm at and and yes that yeah if if this inspires even one you know young woman with a guitar in their hand to to speak their truth uh yeah then it's definitely definitely relevant and i'm sure it inspires many hundreds and thousands so I guess that brings us, and you always you already said that there was a, a writer who was not happy with the uh, <laughs> the advancement of of this album in the ranking. It was previously uh, three twenty eight and three twenty four and three twenty seven on the previous lists, uh, and has jumped up uh, almost three hundred spots to number fifty six. Fifty six best in good company on this list with other solo female artists who have bumped up at this point uh we had only had a few yeah. at the last list like yeah. like true two two or three i think patty smith and Joni mitchell and carol king and i think that's about it by the time we had reached this and now we're we have many more than that maybe maybe 10 or 12 at this point i'm always surprised when an album that I have no concept of what it's going to be like mm-hmm. before I press play is this high on the list. And I right. don't get yeah, the I feel sense, some of that. I don't get the sense that it's got like a deep cult following like Velvet Underground or something, uh, like a, an mm. album that launched many careers. Mm-hmm. I bet it's pretty influential, especially in female rock circles. But I'm a little perplexed at, to why it's here. I, I do think that there's something really interesting about it and something maybe even great. Um, but to me, this feels a little high. And now if this survey is actually a survey and perhaps more people are aware of it and have been influenced by it than I realize, um, mm-hmm. maybe it really does deserve to be here. I'm, yeah. I'm just a tiny bit skeptical about that. And uh, I wish I wasn't. I wish that I wish that, that we were revisiting an album that had been highly influential to us in the 90s. I think we both could have used a little bit more female... <laughs> uh, empowerment yeah. in our in our lives. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I'm surprised by it being here. I guess is my what I'll say. Mm. Yeah, I think I would echo that, and I I would I think I want to plead ignorance um, mm. <laughs> for my response to this because I really again same thing. It's like, well, how can I even comment on it? I've never even heard of it, and I'm surprised that something that I've never even listened to is this high. But I mean, same thing happened when we listened to. Yeah, Velvet Underground uh, on the on the previous list, Love. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, which was number forty, which I'd never even heard of the band. Right. I, I feel the same way, but I also feel like super, super ignorant yeah. about the music, about the artist. Uh, so I don't even feel that that I have the right to to give an opinion about, about the ranking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I guess if I had to say something, I would say the same as you that uh, it does feel high. And, you know, I, it's not like I hang out with artists or female artists all the time, but it's not even like I've talked to someone in the last 20 years, 30 years who said, oh, you've heard this. So it's fair album, right? It's like one of yeah. the most important albums to me. Um, right. And, and we don't have a huge reach on, on Facebook, social media, but we did reach out and, and no one really came to us and said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's like my favorite album. That doesn't mean anything. However, right. Right. you know, it makes me at least ask the question well who was this important for yeah. why is it here i don't really have those answers i wish i like you i wish i did mm-hmm. um so it feels high to me but it's got to be here for a reason 
if it was strictly a poll and based on the responses, then there's obviously a lot of people in the industry, artists and writers, and we know that the people they polled for this list, there are many, many artists who are right in the height of their their careers right now in terms mm-hmm. of pop music and rock music. Um, so if those people voted for this, then it's got to be a reason it's here. So, Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that, that Facebook post um, in effort for us to get a, a guest host. And as you can tell, it's just been the two of us rambling on. We did have a right. number of women, um, I think they were mostly women, say, I like Liz Fair, but other albums of hers were really significant to me. And that's that, right. that was yeah, surprising we to me too. That um, <laughs> For an artist I don't know very much about, it wasn't the one that Rolling Stone had selected, but other parts of her canon that were really significant. Right. We still have things to learn. I get, yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm perplexed by it, but not because it's strange, just because I'm ignorant to it. So yeah. we'll leave it at that. Um, and I guess that's part of our journey here. Yep. Uh, an album that, that I would like to spend more time with. I'd like to listen to some more. Um, you know, and we both have... Uh, uh, I have a daughter, you have two. You know, I want them to hear... I think this this might be a little mature for for maybe some maybe at least one of your daughters maybe both, um, but I want them to hear voices like this. I want them to hear women sharing their stories, yeah. um, the good the, the good the bad and the ugly, yep. and uh, feel empowered to do to do the same. So uh, I'm glad we got to go through it. It certainly is is compelling, mm-hmm. and like I said, uh, accessible. Yep. You know. It's, you don't. It doesn't. It does. It's not a demanding album to listen to, uh, unless you hate uh, the chorus effect. <laughs> <laughs> snare drum. Might, snare drum. Okay. I approve of the snare sound. <laughs> it's okay. It's a nice. Uh, yeah, it's a nice cracking <laughs> '90s snare. Good. Good. Any other comments before we wrap it up here, bud? I'm I'm glad we got to journey with this one for a while. I uh, yeah. I don't know that I'll return to it. I don't feel super compelled by it. Maybe because of its length, I feel like I got a good taste. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm glad we were, we were. I'm glad this one's a part of our journey. Me too. Uh, what we got coming up next, there, Ben? Well, um, we. We do get oh, some Canadian I, content just a lot sooner than uh, Alanis because it's our next <laughs> album. We uh, return to a review that we've already done and we uh, go to the band's uh, self-titled album, which is commonly referred to as the Brown album um, for its brown color on its cover. I'm, uh, I'm excited to return to this one. I really liked it the first time around enough that I went out and got a uh, pretty crackly LP uh, <laughs> vinyl version, and so as we prepare, I'll get to uh, to pull that out again and uh, and spin some vinyl. Um, we will be back with a, a little intro, and I think we're even going to have a special guest. Something we've not done yet for these uh, intro episodes, but uh, but I think yeah. you'll really enjoy what we have in store. Yeah, yeah, special uh, special guest joining us just to talk for a few minutes about uh, a project they've been working on about the band so please join us then until that time we hope that you continue to be well we hope that you take care of yourselves and those important to you and of course we hope you'll join us again next time right here on the sound logic podcast thanks for listening thanks everyone if you like what you hear subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review send us a message at our facebook page on instagram or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.